episode 27 of Hope Between the Lines, a podcast dedicated to great conversations with great people to help you live a great life. Basically, it's fuel for your soul. Today I'm sitting down with my friend Blake McCarty and this conversation goes some really great directions and I can't wait for you to be a part of what Blake and I just kind of vamp on for a little bit. We talk about life, we talk about marriage, we talk about leadership, we talk about parenting. So without further ado, here we go. McCarty, welcome to Hope Between the Lines. What is up? How are you? I'm doing incredible. I've got a question for you, Blake. Sure. If you could watch either college football or professional football, what oh, would you that do? Is, that's a good question. I feel like you catered this question towards me. Like you know who you're interviewing, just because you know I'm from Oklahoma, <laughs> and I've, I was going to mention that later. And OU doesn't have an NFL team. We don't. We don't have any uh Oklahoma doesn't I'm a big OU football fan I love my Sooners um that's really tough I love going have you been to a Packers game Dan I'm not a Packer fan but I have been to a Packer game my wife for Christmas several years ago bought us tickets to the Packer Vikings game at Lambeau and how was that experience it was like a college football game atmosphere yeah like I've been to a Packers Vikings game at Lambeau um, I went to a, a playoff game at Lambeau like it was it, it's just so much fun mm-hmm. to go there um, but I don't know that's a very good question I'll choose college football just because I think there's more games more fun more intensity um, but I, I'm a Packers fan so I don't know that's hard no I hear that I hear that um, some people would argue that some of the elite college level teams could actually hang with some of the crappier NFL teams. Do you agree or disagree? I I lost you for a second. Can you repeat it? I'm sorry. Yeah. Some people would argue that some of the elite college football teams could Uh, hang with some of the crappier NFL teams. Agree or disagree? I think disagree. Hard disagree. Hmm. It's ridiculous. Why is that? I think like, yeah, like I'm I'm pretty passionate. Like you're taking the best of the best and putting them on these teams for the NFL, right? Now Alabama, LSU, fantastic teams, but they are not the best of the best for each individual on that team. It's just not possible. It's college guys going against grown men, and I just think it's such a, a different comparison. Now I I would like watch the game if they wanted yeah. to do it. I'd watch it, but I don't think it'd be a blowout by any means. Right on. I, that makes a ton of sense. I think uh, when you said it the way you did, you've got 19-year-olds playing against grown men. That's what it is. That's a completely different game. Hmm. When you're in college, you just you focus on class. You focus on so many other things. When you're in NFL, that is your livelihood. And I just think of like the difference you get to put into the sport versus college and NFL. And it's just hands down NFL, but I hear that. And there are some that would argue though, that especially the elite colleges, they are driving their athletes at a professional pace. 
That's is there any credence to that? I mean, if you're talking about paying the players under the table, you know, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe they're doing that. Oh, you might be guilty of that, but um, I don't know. Saban's crazy. I'm sure they run a tight ship over there. LSU has done their stuff. Ohio state, all the big names are, aren't big names for a reason. Um, but yeah, be fun to see what their practice schedules look like everything they do. Yeah. So I live in a town of a thousand people in Wisconsin, but the starting center for the Dallas Cowboys graduated from the high school in this town. Okay. And when he graduated from Amherst high school, the Badgers brought him in as soon as possible, right. like in June. And they yeah. started basically transforming him. And Tyler Biotis is a formidable talent. Okay. And he was before he went to college and he was part of a championship run for our high school. Right. And that is pretty legendary. Yeah. And, but he, when he went to the Badgers, so high school to D one, he had to go through a transformation and oh, yeah. the amount of time that was involved in that was a full-time job. Plus I'm guessing. Right. Yeah. And just quick, Another side, this little town of a thousand where I live, the one of the uh, Oakland Raiders also is a graduate of the high school in Amherst. Wow. And those two dudes, Garrett Groshek, who was a Badger as well, and Tyler Biotish, both were in that championship run wow. for the Amherst Falcons. And I was part of the welcome home parade. Okay. As a, uh, the fire department escorts the team back into town after gotcha. every gotcha. state championship game. And let me tell you, it was like the boys coming home from war, like euphoria after they won. <laughs> People were stumbling out of bars and, you know, oh my God, just as loud as they could be. And yeah. they didn't care that the sirens were wailing on all the fire trucks. They were like just excited for our, our Falcon football players. So, Blake, there are some people listening right now who know you, they love you, they have massive respect for you, and oh, then cool. there are others that are getting to know you for the first time right now. Yeah. Who is Blake McCarty? Yeah, like, like I said, I'm from Oklahoma, and so I wear that uh, title proudly as the Oklahoman in the Wisconsin state, um, but yeah, I've been up here for five years in Waukesha, Wisconsin with my wife, been married for those five years, um, and so just been doing uh, ministry up here in a couple of different roles. And, and currently I'm a youth pastor at Bridge Church in Waukesha. And so that that's a little bit about who I am. Big sports fan, um, played some golf this morning. Not well, but I played. So <laughs> just getting out there and uh, yeah, just enjoy being active, doing those things. And so for the past five years, you've been serving in Wisconsin and you've been participating in vocational ministry. And where did you get your start in ministry in Wisconsin? Yeah, so I started working at City on a Hill uh, in Milwaukee, um, and I can talk a little bit more. Or let's just jump in. I started at City on a Hill when I was fresh out of college. Uh, it was a crazy ride. I mean, it was a connection. Someone knew somebody. I was looking for a job right out of college. We felt like Milwaukee was where we were supposed to go. Um, Olivia was on the waiting list for med school up here, and so that was like, all right, we graduate on the 4th, the 5th, we're loading the U-Haul and we're driving to Milwaukee. And uh, because I had this job that was technically 
seasonal. They had never met me in person. And so uh, the person who hired me was like, yeah, we typically like to meet people before we hire them. Um, and I was like, is a phone call not sufficient? And so we, we <laughs> talked and they said, we'll hire you temporarily, um, which made that whole transition just really chaotic. Because I don't know if you know this, when you're trying to rent a place, they want you to provide proof of income. They're like, hey, can you pay for this? And when you give somebody a letter that says, uh, hey, this is what I make. And at the top, it says temporary. They go, mm -hmm. ooh, so this doesn't work for us. Yeah. And so we, we loaded up the U-Haul uh, on the 5th, came up here with no place to sleep that night. And so that was, that was a little crazy, but um, started at City on a Hill and worked there for a year and a half with some really great people and great students and was just culture shocked at first, never being in an inner city environment and learned just a ton about that world, um, that culture, and still also have a ton to learn, but just really enjoyed my time there and transitioned to bridge a year and a half after that. Right on. So what were some of the lessons that you learned in the first six months of being in a, in an inner city environment? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, it was very eye-opening just growing up in a suburb of a city that we never really even went into uh, and just seeing what students in that environment deal with and talking about even going to camp, right? I remember talking with Lisa, who um, helps run the youth programming there and, and just hearing what it takes for students in the inner city to go to camp. We got to get sleeping bags for them. They don't have sleeping bags. We got to make sure they have changes of clothes. We're going to give them some concession stand money because like getting to camp is already a challenge itself. And then once you're there, it's nice to have some spending money or even hygiene items, right? We're providing hygiene items. And it's just things that when I went to camp as a sixth, seventh, eighth grader, I never worried about any of that stuff. You know, my, my packing list was mom and I packed and she would just have it, everything good to go um, with the 20 in there for me for a Spencer swirl. And, and for these students, it's, you know, we have to, um, make sure that we pick them up, that they have fresh pillows, that they got sleeping bags up there, that everything is good to go for them. Um, just because they, they don't have a lot of the things that I just really took for granted and didn't even think about. And so that was, that was a crazy thing, learning about uh, just how home life was um, for some of them, where they would not have a mattress or they'd share a mattress with six siblings and wake up and eat hot Cheetos for breakfast. And, and that was just the norm you know, because mom was working two jobs and doing everything she could. And she just wasn't able to be there to cook breakfast or make make those things happen. And so it's just a lot of it was heartbreaking what you learn, um, but not just getting so caught up and all oh, let's feel bad for them because that doesn't do any good. You know, and that's what a big part of my role was having missions teams come in and walking them through what this culture looks like, what inner city struggles are and saying, okay, great, you feel bad. But really, that does nothing for anybody. That just really hurts you, you know, you feeling this guilt. So what are you going to do about it? How, how are you going to help come alongside people, and not just throw money at problems, but really work to help understand what they're going through. And so I, I think that was it for me those first six months. That's powerful, Blake. And I wonder uh, how many people listening today maybe have never spent more than 12 hours in an urban environment. And I know for me, I, I grew up in, in St. Paul, Minnesota and yeah. the apartment complex where I lived 
uh, back in like 1983. So we're winding the clock way back. And initially when we lived there, it was just my brother, my dad and myself. And, you know, a lot of middle-class working families, but over the next decade or so, the, the apartment really, the culture really began to change a little bit. And it went to very much a, a subsidized housing environment. And so yeah, what was fascinating for me is I watched the transformation slowly take place. And before we moved out of that apartment complex, uh, I w- was watching the very things that you're, you're recounting. Yeah. And right. until you can see it for your own eyes, see it with your own eyes and see it for yourself. Um, you, I don't know if you can understand it well. For sure. Yeah. And that's the thing. I had no idea, right. Until you step into that kind of world and you just go, wow, this is, that's why I say culture shock. I mean, I wasn't going to a a different country, um, but it's definitely different than anything I grew up with. So really enjoyed my time there. Yeah, you you touched on something that was pretty powerful and that how feeling bad is not enough. Right. And I think a phrase that I learned last year is called pathological altruism. And that is basically where your good intentions only make you feel better, but they don't help the person get better. And yeah, I think in an urban environment, it's easy to pull out your checkbook and say, I'm going to throw a hundred dollars at that. Yeah. And that you, you feel so good. Right. Right. And what's also needed in that moment is more than a hundred dollars. Right. Yeah. So, um, now you get to serve at a church in Waukesha. It's called bridge church. And You, for me now, Blake, you are an incredibly sharp uh, leader. Thank you. And the reason why I say that is, and I mean that, the reason why I say that is because I've watched you function in very high stress scenarios and you have risen to the challenge. Thank you. And... I'm just impressed. I I love the spirit that you carry yourself with. There's a confidence there. There's a a no excuses mindset. Like there's just not going to be any reason (laughs) given that sounds like an excuse coming from your mouth. And I think that's, that's in all really great leaders. And so I know you're on your first lap. <laughs> I know you're, you're, <laughs> yeah. you're just kind of hitting the ground and you're just getting off running, but like, I see a lot of really great things in you and I'm excited for your, for your students. I'm excited for your leaders. I'm excited for your church and selfishly, I'm excited for me. Cause that means I get to keep <laughs> seeing you at summer camp, youth convention yeah. and all the, all the cool stuff that we get to do together. So I do have to ask, like sometimes life can get challenging and mm-hmm. even the move that you know you and olivia undertook to come and you moved into a city where you didn't have a bed to sleep in yet 
like or a place to stay yeah that's pretty intense have there been any <laughs> other moments in your life where like you just found yourself like super challenged and like it's been pretty tough yeah yeah so that was a crazy time where um we really just trusted god and that's like the such christian cliche to be like you're just gonna trust in jesus and it'll work and luckily like it did right and it was just crazy how everything did work and we won't go into all that but uh something pretty recent this past year obviously covid was hard for everybody right managing um leading during that time was very difficult and for us uh my wife did get into med school that was coming later she graduates and how med school works is after you graduate you go find a residency somewhere and it's not like applying for a job it's um I've heard it compared to like when you enlist and then they send you somewhere, right? And so with residency, you apply to a bunch of different places, you send them their resume, you interview, and then you get matched to one of those places if you're lucky, right? Some people don't get matched. We were figuring all that out, but this was the year where residency happens and you get matched with that uh, place. And so for us, man, we love being here. We love being in Wisconsin. We love especially Bridge Church and being in Waukesha. And there's only one residency in the Milwaukee area. Um, and so we were a little freaked out by that. Just our, our future was not in our hands. And, and I think for most people, we like control. Some people are control freaks. Um, and I, I don't, I'm not even talking about that, but just people like to have a little bit of control. And so when you're doing this and, and ultimately someone's going to tell you where you're going, um, you don't have much control. And so this has been a, looming thing in our, in our lives for since we started at bridge and i looked at pastor todd during the interview and i said just so you know in two and a half years i have no idea where we're gonna be like it, it could be in texas it could be arizona like wherever we get matched is where we have to go and i was terrified to say that because like that's not a really selling point in an interview no one, yeah, right. you know, like hey i'm out of here soon so just so you know and uh luckily he said hey you know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it and um, we'll see what happens. And so two and a half years later, we're praying and, and just really saying, God, you know, our heart, you know what we want uh, and whatever happens. Yeah, it'll be fine. Whatever. Like, but we really want to stay. And so I, I remember that day, um, just a dumb idea on my part. I was like, let's have a big match day party. They call it match day. And typically everyone goes to the, to the med school and all the people who just graduated celebrate this huge accomplishment together. Oh, you got matched. Where are you going? Like, it's such a big day for all of these people who just worked their butts off for four years and are now going to be doctors. But because of COVID, they didn't have that. And I didn't want my wife to be deprived of that moment. So I said, Liv, let's get everyone together we love and announce where we're going at this party. And I remember in my head just being like, this is a great idea. Yeah. And then all this fear came in of what if we're not staying here? And it turns into this like morning, like wailing party. People or they're, they're like doing the golf clap. Like, should we be happy about this? You're Are we right. supposed to cheer that he's leaving? <laughs> like what's going on with this? So all these uh, different emotions just led up to this day and not even emotions of just like, man, I hope we stay. Um, but it, just like being vulnerable, there was moments of like, man, a really fresh start would be nice. Like if there, if there was a rough day or there was some stressful situation going on, like, man, we could be in Minneapolis 
in three months and life would look a lot different. Or like, I think something that I, I deal with is um, I re really do appreciate all those nice things you said about me. And I feel very uh, confident, secure in what I am doing, but also like I have a lot to prove. I don't know why I feel like I have this kind of chip on my shoulder of like, I'm still a young youth pastor. Um, things have been going awesome, but I have to keep them going awesome, right? It's not just enough to be wherever you're at. And a part of me is like, what if I can't? What if I can't continue to keep whatever I've been doing going? And it'd be so much easier to start somewhere else and just be able to kind of revamp something or do something else and not have to prove yourself. You know, I think it's like um, a head coach gets to a program. He gets a few years to see what he's got. He gets a couple of grace years to build and recruit and all this stuff. And, and after about three years, people are like, okay, now this is your team. Are they going to do good or bad? And I almost felt like that's where I was this past year around residency. And so as, as much all the different emotions running through us, when we opened up the letter and found out we were staying in Milwaukee, it was just like elation. My mom is like crying. She's so happy for us. Like she's, she's in Oklahoma. She misses us so dearly, but she was just like, I'm so happy you get to stay with this church family where you're at because she's just seen how, so, how good it's been for us. So yeah. that was a crazy time. Uh, that is crazy. And I am just thrilled and relieved that it went the way it did. Because imagine doing the big reveal at the party and it being like, see ya, we're going to Arizona. <laughs> yeah. I know. It was, it was very dumb. Well, I, it's a great story. I don't now. regret it because we're staying. But if I had to do it again, I would not throw a party for <laughs> I wouldn't throw a party for 60 people and have like I had Olivia have these had the three different hats set out on a table of three locations we could go and she was going to pick one of them up and put it on like when a player says this is where I'm committed to yeah. and so everyone was kind of like there's other hats what is what's going on right yep. now and I was like don't worry it's okay just wait <laughs> wow uh I want to circle back on just Number one, I appreciate your vulnerability and honesty. And I think actually everyone listening today and me, we can all resonate with that. Like specifically the part where you're like, I've got something to prove. And I think if we're all being honest, we all battle what's called imposter syndrome. Yeah. And that's basically the overwhelming gnawing sense that you're fake and... Right. <laughs> the leader or the man or the woman that's respected and loved. If people really knew the real Dan Herod, right. They wouldn't feel all of that stuff. And that's just, yeah, that's a reality for every one of us. Like, cause we all know the real us and we all know the thoughts, the real us really thinks. Yeah. And so I appreciate your honesty, but, I just got to say, you're not the only one who kind of has that sense of, boy, what if people really knew what I thought right now? Right. And it's just part of being a leader. It's part of being uh, a human being where you're just like, man, I know I got miles to go. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and uh, how do you, how do you think, it's wise to get through that 
Like, how do you work through that? Yeah. Um, I think there's a few different things you can do. Uh, I think talking to people like you who are just in your corner and encouraging and also going to tell you how it is. Like, I, you're not a person that's going to really lie. Like, I think you're going to be real with people um, if you have that relationship. And I have a few people in my life that are like that. I think Pastor Tyler's one of them. Um, the guy I golf with this morning, John Malstad, he's one of them that's just like, yeah, I'll, I'll be real with you. And I think if you are vulnerable with those people and open with them and actually let them in on what's going on in your head, then they can speak that life into you need or speak that correction. Like, Hey man, I think I'm killing it. And they're like, actually you need to work on this. And you're like, Oh, okay. That's maybe a blind spot. I didn't see. But I think if you have people in your life that you can share with and feel comfortable enough to say, this is happening. I don't know what to do. I feel lost in this moment. Then that's a good place to be. I, I think I worry more about the people who go, let me tell you exactly how to solve this thing. Let me tell you exactly what you need to do. And I just go, I don't, I don't know about that. Like anytime someone is over eager, overconfident to share what's going on or, or to give you some really great life-changing advice, I go, ah, maybe let's pump the brakes a bit because that's just not the thing that sells me, right? I, I think there's a better approach to them what they're offering. But I think that helps me a lot when people are just come alongside you and say, hey, it's okay you feel this way. So exactly what you did. Thanks, Dan. Dude, I think uh, the two dudes that you named, uh, Tyler uh, Wolf and John Malstead, uh, are just two quality men. And I'm, I'm thrilled that uh, they're walking alongside of you. And I have to agree with you 100%. The, the level of accountability that a man or woman invites into their life is probably the most important factor in their life. Yeah. Because truth be told, most of us, we don't mind making mistakes as long as no one else knows. Right, right. <laughs> but if we know there's somebody in our lives who loves us, who's going to call us on our stuff, that voice is present at the moment of decision before we, before we make a bad choice. And right. I... I can't agree with you enough. Like you got to have real friends in your life who will call yeah. you out when you're being dumb, but who will also call out the brilliance and be like, that was amazing. Good job. And uh, I just think if we all had a good friend or 10 <laughs> yeah. in our lives, life would be so much better. So for you, right. Cause I think we, we understand the importance of being called out. Do you, do you, is that hard to call your friends out or do you feel like, Hey, this is my role. Cause that's something I'm trying to work on as a small group leader at our church. And as a leader of our youth group leaders, like that's part of our role is to say, Hey, uh, I'm going to hold you accountable. And it's more fun to be the guy that's like, you're doing awesome. This is great. But how have you navigated being the guy that's like, I will also speak the truth in this. Yeah, it really is relationship by relationship that's how i decide what my role is in that relationship because sometimes uh, i have the relationship with the person where i can 
be like, hey, I, I see this, I'm concerned. Or do you see this too? Yeah. And but then there are other times I don't have that relationship. And I avoided confrontation at all costs for too long right. in my life. And now I'm I'm learning to embrace conflict. Okay. Because that is part of affecting change on this planet. Like if I want to yeah. be the man that God wants me to be, I have to embrace conflict. I have to lean into it so that I can be better and I can help the world around me get better. And so there are times when I don't have the relationship with someone to call them out. And so I don't, right. I don't. And, but if I, if I do have a relationship, then most definitely, definitely. Um, and it'll typically go like you just heard. I think yeah. one of the reasons why we're so afraid of conflict is because we've seen terrible modeling of conflict. Yeah. And I just think if we can remember in conflict, it's not about who is right. It's about what is right. Right. And so like a, for instance, in my role as youth live director, you know, we'll go do school assemblies mm -hmm. and sometimes I'll, I'll talk to a speaker about something that I think needs to be addressed, or I'll talk to a musician if we're working with a musician, or if we've got a DJ that we're working with, I have to talk to them about that thing. Yeah. Because if I don't do my job, Right. And hold the high standard, then that's on me. Yeah. It's a hundred percent on me. And I just think the sooner we can all embrace the reality that conflict is part of being who God wants us to be and helping others be who God wants them to be, the faster we're going to get to where our world needs us to be right now. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point. I, I totally agree with you. I just think it's uh, easier said than done sometimes, right? Like, I think in leadership, you are called to be the one that holds that high standard. But sometimes you it's so much easier to not like just to let little things go by or things to happen. And um, I remember when I very first started in leadership at this, in this role. And Tyler's like, Hey, we're going to do youth convention together. Don't worry. I'll be there the whole time with you. And then he was just a wall. And I was like, what? Like, then he's like, you're dealing with all the kids. And there was a disciplinary thing that came up and these leaders bring it to me. And I'm looking around going, who's going to deal with this. And they're like, it's you, you're the, you're the leader now. And sometimes being the person that has to make calls or final decisions or bring that correction is not pleasant, but definitely necessary. Yeah, I think rarely um, do I feel good when I'm confronting someone. Yeah. And I think if I do feel good, then something's probably wrong with me. Um, <laughs> I also think we, uh, we have to pick and choose our battles. Yeah. Because there, there are a few things more discouraging than feeling like you're absolutely failing your leader. Right. And so, and that's a growth point that's happening in my life, even, even right now. And so even though I said like, Hey, I've had to have conversations with, and with people and I had to confront them on stuff, but I've also 
developed a habit of looking past some things because I'm trying to see who they are. I'm trying to give them room to self-correct. Yeah. Because I think that is actually the optimal growth pattern when someone develops their own ability to self-correct. And I just want to make room for the people in my world to self-correct. And so if they're just having a bad week, give them room to have a bad week. And yeah, trusting that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and is a great convictor and an illuminator of truth. So I think if we can all walk in um, a humble confidence that says, I don't have it all together. Right. And lead with that spirit, our confrontations are going to go so much better. But like you, I haven't got this figured out yet. So <laughs> that sounds like some really good parenting advice. You want your kids to be self-correcting, right? To a degree. I mean, you're always having to watch them and say, hey, knock that off. Like, you're not going to have good adults that are kids. Um, so I, I that's some good parenting advice right there. Well, the older I get, the more I realize that good parenting is great leadership. Because my, my job as a dad is to equip Logan and Camden with the ability to lead themselves. Yeah. End of story. That's my number one job is to help them lead themselves. And as a leader on different teams and different ways and different roles, that's also my job. Yeah. Is to help my teammates and even those I serve, those above me. Like, how can I just be a greater support to those who have authority above me and who I'm privileged to be on their team? How do I, how do, how do I help them uh, continue to lead themselves well? Right. And how do I help those, you know, next to me serving alongside, how do I help them lead themselves well? And then those, if we want to do a hierarchy, which I hate, but just for conversation's okay. sake, I'll, I'll use it. But how do I help those that are under my charge? How do I help them lead yeah. themselves well? Because it's absolutely dignifying when someone is given the space to exercise their own agency. Right. And I think some of the best leaders in my life, like Steve Tripp was one of them. I watch as he constantly gives his team room to exercise their own agency, to, yeah. to lead themselves. And it creates really strong leaders. Yeah. Really strong leaders and confident leaders because you did it yourself. Right. As we kind of come to the end of our chat today, Blake, who are you proud of today? I am very proud of my wife. Um, I think she's probably the most interesting part about me. It's just uh, I'm married to an ER doctor, and that's cool to finally say just after seeing all the work that she's put in to this process and something she feels like God has called her to. It's you know not just ministry that God calls people to, but she feels called to the medical field and stepped into this role. And it's just just got done with her first month of uh, introducing herself as Dr. McCarty and my parents are happy. There's finally a doctor in the family. You know, I, I couldn't do it for him, but I yeah. married one. Right on. 
So I, I'm super proud of her just to see how she interacts um, with people, you know, inside the church, outside the church. It's, it always impresses me. Um, I'm proud, proud of our students as we go back to school, you know, just seeing their creativity, seeing their plans. We've been talking about Speed the Light a lot and just had a couple of students really amaze me. You know, one seventh grader went door to door selling like stone fire pizzas. However much you can give, I'll make you a pizza. And he just made pizzas. And so he raised 500 bucks doing that. And I had another student selling uh, vegetables out of their garden, just setting up a stand, taking a Saturday to do that. And so I think seeing students catch what's important and really pursue it just makes you like a, like a proud parent to a proud pastor, right? Not a parent, but um, I, I also just had, I'm a proud of a lot of people, I guess, but I'm just had my first group and you are a youth pastor and, and you've seen this happen even in your role right now, but I just had my first group of seniors who graduated and went off to school and seeing them go into their different colleges or different workplaces just makes you really proud of the like you're sad they're gone but you're just so proud of what they've done and how they've invested in other students and what they're doing in college like I got a text message like hey Pastor Blake I'm a discipleship leader on my in my dorm now can we talk about what that looks like can you give me advice and it's just so cool to see students stepping into these type of leadership roles that you were once in and um, kind of just the cycle of life and ministry but yeah I love it absolutely love it and I'm with you. Students are awesome. Students are awesome. And there are a few more encouraging and inspire, inspiring things than a student who, who finds their voice and their power. And they just yeah. they swing for the fences and they go for it. Yeah. And I love it. I absolutely love it. So, Blake, I, I can't thank you enough for your time today. I've been thank enriched. you, Dan. Oh, dude, I've been enriched by this conversation. You are a, a real encouragement to me. And um, I'm just with you, man. So thank you so much for making the time to talk today. I'm thankful to be your friend, to come on here and to, to chat it up. Yeah, man. There you have it, folks. We have come to the end of the line on today's episode of Hope Between the Lines. And this is also the finale of season two. There have been multiple great conversations that I want to encourage you to go back and have a listen to. Thank you to everybody who's been praying for me as I write book number two. It is in process and it is going well and I can't wait to share it with the world. Hope Between the Lines is a podcast dedicated to great conversations with great people to help you live a great life. Yes, it is audible fuel for your soul. My name is Dan Herod, and it is definitely my privilege to be on this journey with you. So keep up the good work and have an incredible day. Oh, yeah.